Right, well, today we're in part two of the series called Armor of God, and I titled the message Two Sides of Right. And so I want to jump right into the text. So if you have a Bible, if you're watching online, thank you for joining us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. If you want to use your phone or your Bible, I encourage you to do so. Uh, Paul is writing to this church and, uh, in Ephesus, and after reminding them of the gospel in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he reminds them of the gospel, and he tells them all about what the Lord has done and uh, how the Lord died for them and their sins and how much he loves them. And then 4 through 6, he really explains in the book of Ephesians, which I've encouraged you to read throughout this series, uh, he gets into more of how to live your life and how to function as a Christian in the world. And so here we are in Ephesians chapter 6, towards the end of Paul's letter, and this is what we'll read. We'll read it verse, uh, six through, or verses 10 all the way down through 17. Here's what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the royalties and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, so we know it's a spiritual thing. And he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, so I want to recap a couple of things because I know that, uh, you know, it's good to kind of come back and make sure we understand what happened last week because it all kind of builds on one another. So a couple of things to make note of. And if you have your notes, you can start writing stuff down at the bottom if you need to kind of remember some of this stuff or go back and look at it. Uh, so a couple of things that we need to recap from Paul's writings. One is we're in a fight against Satan and demons. That's Ephesians 6, 12. It's clear. That it's not just Satan. Satan's not omnipresent, but his, his demons are all around, evil forces that are around trying to lure you away or pull you away from what God desires for your life. So just remember, there is a spiritual war that we're in. Second thing, don't give the devil a foothold. Last week, I taught you about a foothold. A foothold is a metaphorical word for opportunity. In other words, don't give Satan an opportunity. And there will be times where he's putting something in front of you, but he says, don't give him a foothold. Don't give Satan one place in your life. Don't, don't allow him the opportunity. I want you to consider, and Paul would say the same, it's clear that don't give uh, the devil an opportunity. So let's think about what does that really mean practically. We unpacked a little bit of this last week. Let's say you're in a position where somebody comes and says, hey, would you forgive me for what I did? Here's an opportunity. You can say yes or you could say no. Now, if you say yes, you've won. You've defeated the enemy in that moment. If you say, no, I'm not going to forgive them right now. No, let me think about it. No, I'm not going to. And you push it away. You've just now given the enemy a foothold. You've given him the opportunity to come in and enter into your spirit. You understand? And that, and that spiritual attack will turn into bitterness. And eventually bitterness will turn into rage. Or rage will turn into jealousy or envy or all kinds of other sins. So don't let the opportunity happen. Acknowledge that every time you have this tension, we'll talk about this even more today, uh, to, to, to be wise in those moments. Paul would say, even in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 he would say, be wise. And so anyways, uh, for us, you need to understand, don't give the devil an opportunity. And then the third one is first, 
And that's what we talked about last week was sink into. That means to put on, to clothe yourself, to sink into truth. That's what Paul said. First, you have to understand what truth is. So in this spiritual battle, truth is absolutely the first necessity because everything hinges on what truth is. And we talked about what is truth. And we said, ultimately, you could debate all kinds of things, but ultimately, it's, it's a person. It's more of a person than it is a thing. And Jesus said, I am truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That I am truth. You want to know what truth is? Just look at me. So then you question, well, then how could a mere person, how could a man be truth? He couldn't be truth unless he's more than just a man, right? So he's more than a man, which means he can be truth, which is who he said he is. He's beyond just being a man, although he is a man. He's also God. Truth is whatever God says ultimately on a matter. In other words, Jesus is saying, whatever comes out of my mouth, whatever I do is truth. Whatever's written in my word is truth. And so he is the essence of truth. That is Jesus. And so we need to know the truth, right? We need to know the truth. Not just that this way goes way beyond memorizing scripture. You got to hear me on this. I know that as kids, a lot of people are all in the memorizing scripture. That's good. That's important to meditate on it, mutter it. I know that. Chew on it. Reflect on it. Yes. But I want you to think about this from this perspective. Now, if truth is a man... And it says, you've got to put on the belt of truth. You've got to gird up your loins because everything hinges on the belt. Okay, you don't want to go to battle with your pants down, as we talked about last week. Amen? Unless you want to, which is probably a bad idea. Uh, so he says, I want you to go in, into battle knowing the truth. Now, what's truth? Christ. Now, when you think about it like this, instead of saying, well, I need to know the Bible. I've got to study the geography of the Bible, the biblical things, biblical places, biblical names. Hey, all of that is good. But I think it goes way beyond the knowledge of the word. It's really knowledge of his voice. Here, here's what I want you to think about. When you go into battle in these wrestling matches with enemy throughout the, throughout the week, throughout a day, do you know his voice? Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Do you know his voice? Do you know his character? When you get in the moments and scenarios and opportunity, of the day of evil comes where, where, where Satan presents or his demonic forces present an opportunity do you know his voice? Do you know that whisper? Do you know that nudge? Can you tell his character? What lines up with his character? What, a, what kind of a decision he would support and what kind of decision he wouldn't support? Do you know Jesus and what he would do in a particular scenario? It's really important when you think about fighting off spiritual demons or demonic forces. So Paul says, put on the belt of truth first because everything hangs on the belt of the soldier. And so... Simple. If he doesn't have a belt, he won't be able to fight long. If you don't have truth and you don't know truth and you can't, you're not aware of his voice or what he sounds like, you're going to have a hard time winning against Satan. That's the whole, whole point of his first thing about truth. You won't last long in a fight against Satan if you don't know who Jesus, and this is important, really is. You won't last long in a fight with Satan if you don't really know who Jesus really is. The more you get to know Jesus the more prepared you'll be for the fight. All right. So then he goes on to the next body of armor, and he says the breastplate of righteousness in place. So we're going to unpack this today. And to understand what Paul means by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, we need to first define righteousness. Okay? So I think there's two sides of it. But first, the definition, righteousness is righteous uh, being or doing what is righteous. So uh, I should actually should say uh, being righteous is what it should say, or doing what is righteous. 
So there's just a, mis- a typo there, that's all. So it should say being righteous or doing what is righteous. Those are the two sides. I want to show you this. There are two sides to the breastplate. There's the front and there's the back. So I want you to see that there is a being righteous and a doing righteous. Let's unpack the first one, being righteous. So when we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about being righteous right now. In a minute, we'll talk about doing righteousness or doing right. So be right or do right. I want you to see this. Okay, so first, being right. All right? Everybody say, be right. Okay, everybody say, I'm always right. No, okay. You, you, uh, that's how we feel, isn't it? And that's the truth. All right, so be right, okay? Being right. I want you to see this today. It's so important. This first one. There's debate on, is he talking about this imparted righteousness, imputed righteousness, this whole debate on. I think there's both. I think Paul is talking about both. He's saying, I want you to understand that you are right with the Lord, but you're also to do right in the Lord. Now, first one, be right. Okay. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote this, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, that's Jesus, we might become, there's the be, the righteousness of God. So let me explain this to you, what Paul is writing. When Christ died on the cross, Paul just made a huge statement. Now, why did Jesus die on the cross? And many of you would say, or many people would say, oh, to die for our sins. And that is true, but that is not the full truth. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the payment of your sin, but watch this, he replaced it with righteousness. Two things happened. You didn't just take the sin away, he also gave you righteousness. He gave you right standing with him. You became the righteousness of God when you become a follower and confess the Lord Jesus as master and ruler of your life. You become the righteousness of God. When God sees you, he doesn't just see a person forgiven. This might really throw your thinking out. He sees you as equivalent to his son. Now watch what I mean by that. Don't don't just stop it there. Okay? What I mean by that is in that both have met the standard of righteousness. So when he sees you, he says, you have met the standard, which is the same thing that he sees the son as. I'm not saying you're all Jesus. Do not go home and tell your friends, hey, I found out today in church I'm Jesus and God sees me as Jesus. You're not Jesus. What I am saying to you is the way the Lord sees you is his righteousness. Just as he sees his son as righteous, you also are righteous because of what Christ has done for you. Now, again, that is only for those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. All right, this, this process is what some people talk about as crediting righteousness. How many of you ever heard of there was credited as righteousness? How many of you have heard that before? Okay, so most of you haven't, which means this is a great class for you to be in today because you're going to learn something. This is good. All right, crediting righteousness. All right, Romans 4, through 25. If you want to write some of these scriptures down or take pictures of the screen, you can go home and read these later. All right, this is why, watch this. This is what Paul writes in Romans. This is why it was, here's the line, you want to circle or underline, it was credit to him as righteousness. It says, the words, it was credited to him, okay, were written not for him alone, but also, now this is important for you and for me, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him. So if you believe in him, you have your confidence in him, there's going to be a deposit in your account called righteousness. That's what he just said. 
who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, was raised to life for our justification. Then again, in Ephesians 1.13, Paul writes this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, this is important. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. You were sealed. Something happened in that moment when you gave Christ your life and you believed in him, put confidence in him. It says, this seal is the promise of the Holy Spirit who is a deposit. So what got deposited in you? A new spirit. And that spirit carries righteousness. And all this is going to make sense even more as I unpack this, I hope. If I do a good job and Jesus is with me, which I believe he is in Jesus' name. That was a prayer for myself. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself from the Lord like David did. Deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are God's possession to praise of his glory. Now, the word deposit here is a monetary word. It's a word used for money, okay? Which is a purchase is given as a pledge. You might see some translation, you the words pledge. You pledge a dollar amount. You pledge something. You put a down payment on something. So whenever you give your life to Christ, when a person professes and trusts in the Lord of salvation, God marks a deposit in your spiritual account. Are you tracking with me today? Yes? Okay. He puts a deposit in your spiritual account. Now, this is important for you to understand that Satan can never withdraw. He, he makes a deposit in your spiritual account. So at salvation... A breastplate of righteousness, if you would, is issued to the one who professes Christ as the Lord of their life. And I want you to see the two sides of a breastplate. I'd say this is the back side, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. All right? So we're talking about one side of the breastplate. The breastplate of righteousness has Christ's name stamped on it, in other words. You wear his jersey. How many of you go to different games and you put jerseys on with, with other men's name or whatever on the back of your jersey? I'm waiting for every hand to go up of every man in this room, okay? What's, what I love is some, some of you are like, I, I wear one sometimes around the house and pretend like I'm throwing a football like Tom Brady, <laughs> you know? Okay, so, so he says, you put my name on your back. Here's, here's why. Watch this. Jesus, and Jesus would say this is true scripturally. Jesus would say this to you scripturally. He didn't say it in text, but here's the point. Your righteousness isn't sufficient. Mine is. So put my name. And you got sealed. You carried my name when you professed me as Lord of your life. So in other words, wear my jersey. Put, put my jersey on and now you carry my name. Now that's powerful. I like to think of this uh, kind of something like this. It's the backside of the breastplate because when I think about it, I think about it how even when I sin, Jesus has my back. Now, that is not a license to sin. But when you sin, you don't have to confess your sin in order to obtain salvation. Although some believe that, which I do not see scripturally to be true. Truth is, you're still saved even when you sin. How could that be? Because you got a new name. And you carry the name of God on your back. And he has your back even when you sin. If that were not the case, how many need to be resaved today? Like right now. And right now. <laughs> Does that make sense? 
There'd be a constant, but because we don't have to do that, because of why? When you got saved, the righteousness of Christ, you got a, a new spirit inserted, imparted, a, accounted it to your spiritual account that Satan can never take away. That's pretty powerful when you think about it, what Christ did on the cross. He replaced the sin with righteousness. Our sin does not change our position of righteousness. Okay, I need you to know that. Jesus removed the sin. Scripture says as far as the east is from the west. But a confession of sin. Well, then why do I need to confess the sin? Not to obtain salvation, but to repair the relationship. Now watch this. Some of you are like, didn't know that. Okay, now hear me out. If a married couple, how many of you uh, sometimes get in arguments as married couples? <laughs> okay, I know that laugh. So Andrews, we got to talk, I guess. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I want, I want you to think about this, all right? All right. Whenever uh, a relationship is damaged due to an argument, due to something, whatever it may be, Okay. It's no different confessing sin than coming back to your spouse and asking for forgiveness for what you did last night, for what you said yesterday, or how you responded to something. And when you ask for fat forgiveness, here's what you're not saying. Will you marry me again? No. You're just saying, I'm trying to repair the relationship. Now, it's the same way with the Lord. When you ask confession, it's a, I want to repair the relationship. It's not, I need salvation again. Now, now, how much more should that lead you to confess your sin? Well, if you want a strong relationship with the Lord, you'll confess them all the time, as often as they come. Why? Because you don't want a damaged relationship with the Lord. It's not about salvation. This is about restoring and repairing the relationship, because that's what sin does. What does sin do? Separates you from the Lord. Spouses, you, some of you might even know this, right? Or you've, you've heard about it at least, maybe, where spouses will get in arguments and then somebody gets moved to the couch. Now, in my house, it's Carissa. Um, I'm just <laughs> joking. I'll be on the couch tonight. <laughs> I'm sorry. Forgive me. Uh, no. Um, but, you know, we've heard that scenario. What happens? Come on. There's a separation. And it doesn't feel good. And, and, there's, and there's distance. And then the next morning, you, you, you go to bed with that inside of you. And then there's tension the next day in the home. Immediately. Why? Because the relationship hasn't been repaired. And so what Satan does is the same with the, our relationship with the Lord. He drives a wedge between it. And the longer that that relationship goes, you know, in that damaged state, the harder it is to reconcile. So I want you to see sin this way. It's not about getting back into heaven. No, you got his name on your back. It's about repairing the damaged relationship. I like to think of sin as like the trash. The longer you wait to take it out, it begins to stink up your life. That's a, hopefully an easy analogy for you to understand. Uh, that's why scripture is so clear to confess it and even flee it. Run from it as fast as you can. Take out the trash as quick as you can. So why? So it doesn't stench up your life. The longer you leave it sitting there, the nastier it gets. And that's true for marriage when you argue and fight, by the way. The longer you let that unforgiveness sit there, 
the harder it is, the, the, the more it spreads in your family and into your kids. So deal with it fast. Don't let it come in and do that. All right, key truth. One key truth under this banner. Satan can't remove our position of righteousness. We talked about that just a minute ago. Once we are saved, okay, so what will he do? He will attempt to restrict our practice of righteousness. He can't take your position anymore, so he'll try to interrupt the practice or what we'll call the doing of righteousness. All right, that leads to the second side of the righteous. The breastplate is doing right. Okay, we'll call this the front side. The, the, the one that protects the vital organs of the body, the heart and, and the one that you carry on the front of you. Okay, this is the doing right. Okay, when we talk about being righteous, a lot of us think about this more than the one I just spoke of. A lot of us think about, well, righteous and holiness is doing the right thing. Okay, so that's what we're gonna unpack here. So we are right with the Lord, but there's also a doing right. Ephesians 4.20, in the same letter, Paul wrote this, that however, it is not the way of life you learned. So there should be a change here. We talked about that. Once you give your life to Christ, there should be a difference in you. Okay, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Now you gotta take something off before you put something on. He says, so put off the old self. There should be a change which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If you were circling a couple of words, I would circle the word attitude. There's a new attitude. Deceitful desires. Put off old self. So there's a trans- transformation happening. There's a change happening. All right, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, now that you become and you know God and you've been made righteous, you carry his name on your back, then live like it. Now you're, you're wearing his name for justification, salvation, but now that you're wearing his name, represent him well then. Become like him is what he's saying. First key truth, followers of Jesus desire, that's a very important word, to do right. Now, do followers of Jesus always do right? No. But there's a desire to do right because of who we want to be like, not to make us right. Because we know we're made the righteousness of God. So we don't do the right things or the righteous things in order to obtain salvation. No, that's a gift. But we do right because of who we want to be like. That's the inspiration, that's the desire. So we want to be like Christ and live righteously. Then the big question is this. Why don't we live righteously? Right? Why is it then with knowing this knowledge of righteousness and what Christ did for us, why don't we always do the right thing? That's the question I hope I'm going to do my best uh, to answer for us. Okay? What is the opposite of right? Okay, you ask it again. I know you're just writing some notes. Let's try this one more time. We got to do a whole nother message if you don't know this answer. What is the opposite of right? Who said left? Did somebody say left? <laughs> you were wrong. Okay. <laughs> left. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. So, so we're talking about right and wrong. Okay. I want you to see this. All right. Paul is writing to 
believers, right? He's writing to people who know Christ or should know Christ. So opposite of right is wrong. And when we do wrong, that means we're not operating according to the standard of God, which is truth. Truth is the standard of God. Truth is whatever God says on a matter. So when you do the wrong thing, you're not operating according to the standard that God has set called righteousness. All right, so we're not doing the right thing. Instead, what are we doing then? We're operating according to our own standard, which is wrong. To a different standard than God's standard of righteousness. It's called wrongness, if you would. Okay? Key truth number two. Rightness invites God's spirit to flow through our lives. Wrongness invites demons. You can say demonic forces if you want, but invites demons to block the work of God to flow in our lives. I want to talk to you about rightness and wrongness. Now, we're all in the umbrella right now of doing the right thing. Why is it that I do the wrong thing? Paul struggled with this, didn't he? I want to do the right thing, but I end up doing the wrong thing. Oh, what a wretched man I am. This is a battle. How many of you want to do the right thing, but often do the wrong thing? Okay, we're talking about why this occurs right now. Okay, what do I do about that? I mean, how do I do the right thing all the time? I mean, you're like, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to do. We'll unpack that in just a minute. Okay, that's what we're talking about. You need to know, though, that rightness invites God's spirit to flow through your life, but wrongness invites demonic forces to flow through your lives. So Paul is talking to believers who know the truth, and so they know the difference between right and wrong. They know the truth. The truth has told you what the right thing is. You know the truth. So you know what the right thing is, then why don't you just do it? How many of you are parents and you love that line? You can right now anchor into that. You know the right thing to do. Why don't you do it? Well, don't you know the Lord could say the same thing to you? I mean, you know, every time I say it to my kids, I hear God say, well, what about you? Well, I'm going to talk about me right now. Talking about, talking, about, talking about him or her, you know. Okay. So just because you know the right thing to do doesn't mean you do the right thing. And then so many children, and we did this, and we still do this. We say, why would you do that? And what do we say? I don't know. I don't know. Why did you go spend all that money and buy that? I don't know, you know. And, you know. So that's, that's the struggle. So Paul says, what did he say? He said, we're in a wrestling match. Right? It's a constant wrestle. And, and he dealt with this himself. He had this wrestling match to be true. So here's what this means for us. For the rest of your life, you will be in a wrestling match between doing right and doing wrong. All right? And even non-Christians will say, well, I find that to be true. Yeah, because Paul said this is truth. You're going to be in that wrestling match between doing the right thing and the wrong thing all the time. So what do you do? All right, go back to verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of the dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual thing. Don't forget that. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Now, a lot of people love to pray this prayer. and There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, give us a helmet of salvation, the breath of righteousness, and, and pray that prayer. But I'm here to tell you, I don't think praying that prayer does it. It's knowing Jesus. You could pray that prayer, say that prayer, and not know anything about Jesus' voice. And you're going to have a hard time winning the battle. So now we're talking about doing righteous. It's not just, Lord, 
Put a breastplate on me. And if you want to get really spiritual, go buy some Roman soldier breastplate and wear it around all day. But I'm not so convinced that's what's going to really help you. So how do I do righteousness then? How does that look? How do I accomplish this? All right. Paul writes, when you're tempted to do the wrong thing, what does he say to do? Here's what I'll say. Remember it spiritual first. Remember this is a spiritual thing. When you're in the fight, this is in the heavenly realms. This is not in the physical realm. The temptation is not coming from the physical realm. So when you're tempted in a moment to do something that is of wrongness, remember where, where it's rooted in. It's rooted in spiritual. It's rooted in heavenly realms. So you've got to start in the spiritual realm. It's not coming from the physical realm. It's first coming from the spiritual realm, which means whenever you or I are engaged in a moment between doing the right thing and the wrong thing, there are spiritual forces at work trying to move us towards what? The wrong thing. Because wrongness invites demonic forces to operate in your life and to cut off the flow of God's spirit and work in your life. Now, before I give an illustration to this, let me explain it to you this way. All right, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul wrote this, and he said, if anyone is uh, in Christ Jesus, when you become a believer in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. We read that just a minute ago. There's a new spirit, right? We get a new body. Here's a question I have for you. Which part of you got saved? Okay, think about it. When you, when you get saved, I just want you to know your whole body did not get saved. You have three parts to you. I'll call it a third of you got saved. Now, some, believe, some would say they choose two. I'm not here to debate whether it's two parts or three parts. I'm more the fan of three parts. So just follow me on this for a minute here. When you got saved, did your physical body get saved? No. See, the whole you didn't get saved. When you go to heaven, you get a new body. And I'm excited about that. And I have put in my request like I have told you before. <laughs> I'm at least 6'1". That's my request. And I have talked to the Lord about this. I just want to be, come on, man, a little taller. I've always wanted to be able to touch the rim of the basketball net. I'll, you know, I get the bottom of the net if I'm lucky on a good day. But Okay, so you didn't, you're, when you got saved, your body does not get saved. Your body returns to dust. Okay, so what part of you get saved... When you profess Christ, what does he say? You get a new what? Spirit. There are three parts to you. Your spirit, your soul, and your body. So your spirit, you get a new spirit, and the spirit carries what? Righteousness. Now we know your body does not go on. You get a new body. So that one goes away. So what happens to the soul? This is really, really important for you to understand. What happens to the soul when you get saved? Does it get saved? Does it become righteous? No. How do I know that? Because none of you are always righteous in your actions. This is what scripture will talk about when we talk about is sanctification. You have justification and sanctification. Your spirit gets justified, but your soul is being sanctified. That is to say that your soul is being developed. How many of you right now would say, I'm a work in progress? Amen. Okay, what part of you just raised your hand? Well, you would say, well, my body did. Yeah, I would say your soul is what you were referring to, though. Now, some of you would say, well, no, my body's in a work in progress, too. 
But, but what I'm saying is, is your soul is a work in progress. Okay, what is a soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's the soul of the, of the side of you. It's, it's your mind. You don't always think the right thing. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. You're trying to be in progression. You're trying to move forward. God is cleaning things out in you. What is he doing? He's purifying your soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your desires, your will, your desires. Do you always have the right desires? No. You even try to do the right thing, but you have the wrong motive sometimes. You ever try to do the right thing with the wrong motive? The moment you decide to do the right thing, if you carry the wrong motive, you've just contaminated the right thing you did. Now, this is why I think Paul, when he wrote down, what a wretched man I am. What am I going to do about this? What is he referring to? His spirit? No, his spirit is righteous. What he's referring to is his soul. I'm still a work in progress. My soul is still often in conflict within me. So I need you to understand, when you get saved, there's a third of you that gets saved, your spirit. The body goes away, you get a new body in heaven. The second one is a work in progress. Your soul is being worked on. Now I want you to understand this as we talk about, so how do we do the right thing? That's what we're talking about. How do we, how do we get our soul to do the right thing? Paul says first, you have to remember, it starts where? With the Spirit. This is why it is so important for you and I to feed the Spirit. Because the Spirit is where it starts. This Spirit of righteousness that lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when you get, the, when you get saved, you get God's Spirit. Amen? You get His Spirit inside of you. Well, then why don't you act like Him all the time? Because there's a conflict between the spirit and the soul. Now, here's how it gets carried out. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. So I want you to follow me in this process. If you have a, a spirit that comes inside, and he says there's these dark forces, demonic forces in the heavenly realms, and there's these spiritual forces that are attacking in the spiritual realm, okay? So we have this spirit inside of us, and the spirit is beginning to Influence would be the proper word to influence our soul, to influence our mind. How many of you ever had a thought and you thought, where in the world did that come from? I mean, you, you, you literally thought about doing something to that person, your coworker, and whatever, you know. It got, if people knew what I was thinking, they would, how many, how many things, I mean, they just knew what was going through my brain right now that, you know, you're so afraid to share what you're really thinking because, you know, but where does that come from? Spirit. Okay, so the spirit begins to influence the soul, the mind, your desires, your emotions. So the spirit influences the soul, and when your soul gets kind of influenced by the spirit, it gets manifested through your body. So it begins in the spirit, it moves to the soul, then it goes to the body, and it's shown and revealed through the body. So if we have this physical action that we want to stop doing, an addiction, a drug, whatever, yelling, arguing, anger, whatever it may be, is that going to only be tackled in the physical realm? No, that, that's, that's not where the root of it is. Where's the root of it? In the spiritual realm. So I've got to first approach the spirit to influence the proper the decision I've got to make in order then to see manifest, manifestation out in, in the physical realm of this. Is this making sense to you? You've got to get to the spirit that influences the soul that goes to the body. What Paul is wanting this group of people to know, and I'm wanting you to know and consider today, is that if you want to do the right thing, where do you got to start? Spirit. You got to start with the spirit. 
And if you start with the right spirit, it'll lead to the right desire. It'll lead to the right decisions. It'll lead to the right thoughts. It'll lead to the right thinking. You start with the right thing, leads to the right thing, leads to doing the right thing. Now, this makes it very important for you to listen to, so please pay attention here and listen in. That makes it absolutely critical if you want to do the right thing and be righteous, do more right things and be righteous and pursue holiness and move towards holiness, then you've got to start with feeding your spirit with the right things. Which is why Paul writes what he wrote in Galatians. We'll put this up on the screen. Look what Paul writes in Galatians to the church in Galatia. He says in Galatians 5, I think it's 16, if you have it up. He says, so I say, walk by the what? Spirit. And you will not gratify the what? Desires of the flesh. So you have this spiritual thing that's happening. And then you've got this fleshly thing that's happening. You've got this soul. You've got this will, this mind, and these emotions that's going on in a person. And it's got desires in it. It's got cravings in it. Now, my spirit is saved. It's righteous. I'm going to heaven. Amen. I'm with Christ. I carry his name. But I still have these actions that don't always show that. So what do I do? How do I become more righteous in my actions? Well, I've got to walk by the spirit. I've got to feed the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit means to be with the Spirit all day long. I've got to walk in step with the Spirit. I've got to let the Spirit of God flow through my life all day long, every second, every minute, every moment. I've got to pray without ceasing, Paul said. I have to keep his word on my lips at all times. And when I do that, I am feeding the Spirit, which then influences the soul my decisions that I'm making, the desires that I have, that then if I have the right spirit to influence the right thinking, I'll get the right action. So if I'm doing the wrong thing, what's happening? It's because I'm not feeding my spirit the right thing. So it's really important we understand how critical it is to feed the spirit of God's word, God's thinking, and his word. So that I hope helps you understand how important it is that you feed yourself with the Word of God. All right, final illustration to this. In military combat, in the Air Force, uh, they have the capability to transfer uh, gas from one plane to another. You've seen this? They have these, what they're called tankers and receivers, right? You ever seen this before? How many of you remember the old Nintendo, the game called Top Gun, you know? Probably not many of you, but I remember. Me and my friends used to sit behind each other, pretend we were Maverick and Goose. And... Anyways. Well, one of the parts of the video game, this happens in combat, is you have to fly a tanker, and the tank would come and put gas into the plane. All right, so this is what happens. And the one that receives it, it's called the receiver. Now, the reason for the transfer is so that the receiving plane can continue the mission without interruption. The problem is, this is not easy to do. There are all kinds of things working against the pilots. I was watching a video of it the other day, and there's all kinds of factors that go into this. Fuel, altitude, speed, wind, other planes, other things that are going on in the air, uh, all kinds of forces, if you would, can try to get in the way of the flow of the gas being transferred from the tanker to the receiver. 
I'd like you to consider for a minute that maybe God is like the tanker who is constantly ready to keep your spiritual tanks full, but Satan is with his demons doing all he can, like the turbulence, the thunderstorms, the weather, the altitude, the speed, and all those factors, and they'll do all they can to cut off the flow from happening, to prevent the flow coming from God's spirit into your spirit. And they don't want that to happen because they know once your spiritual tank gets full, you'll be able to complete the mission that God has called you to. Many of us in our life, in our walk with the Lord, have had a spiritual tank that was really full. And you walk out of here on Sunday and your spiritual tank is full. And by 2 p.m., it's empty. But in that time of being full of the Spirit, man, you are doing righteous things making right decisions. But by the weekend, spiritual tank is empty. You haven't filled yourself. And because your spirit is empty, it begins to produce wrong thinking, which leads to wrongdoing. Now, how important does that mean then that, you better, that we better be on our best when it comes to doing what? Doing the right things? No. If you start just trying to do the right thing, you'll find yourself doing the wrong thing. If you want to do the right thing, fill your spirit first with the right things, which then leads to the thinking the right things, the desires of the right things, and then you'll have the action of the right things. Now, I want to wrap it up. One final thought, and I love this. We don't have time to do it. wish we had time, but we don't. So, go home and do this. I think chapter 5, Paul gives a secret to doing the right thing. This is how we'll end. All right. Andrews, can I just get you up here for just a minute? Uh, just, just you, Andrews, for a second. Okay. So, here's chapter 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. The same language he used in Ephesians 6. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord will is. Okay. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, look at verse 19. I think we find a great secret here. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. The word speaking there, by the way, is a Greek word that simply means to make a sound with your voice. To make a sound. Okay. It's not just talking. It's not. It, a better translation, I think, would be singing. It's to make a sound with your voice. Okay. So that's why he says, imagine, make a sound with your voice in psalms and hymns and songs. Now, what are psalms? Songs. What are hymns? Songs. He says, sing. Now, watch this. From the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart. So he says, sing together and sing privately. Sing, 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 sing. Always giving thanks. When you sing, you give thanks. Okay, when you sing, we give gratitude to God, the Father and everything, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. When the moment comes in your life when you're tempted to do the wrong thing, I'm going to invite you to do something. Sing. Praises to God. Sing spiritual songs. Why? Songs remind us of what Jesus did, which leads to repentance. All songs, spiritual songs. Songs are forms of prayer. Songs uh, mold and shape our heart. Songs shape our attitude. Remember the word attitude I told you to circle? Don't songs shape your attitude. When you work out, you are not listening to opera music. Most of you. You put on something back, reminds you of when you 
had all ripped abs and you were strong and tone and whatever, I don't know. Yes, when you go on a run, you put on music that will what? Get you ready. Yeah, well, you ever seen baseball and they have the music that plays as the batter walks into the box and the music plays, gets them pumped up, gets them ready. Songs have great power to uh, shape our attitude towards a matter. Okay? Put it to the test, see if it works out for you. The next time you're tempted to do the wrong thing, just start singing. Andrews, can you sing anything right now? Do you have a mic in front of you? Just sing something. <laughs> We're going to get going. But, but yeah, just, it doesn't matter what you sing. It, a spiritual song, preferably. So <laughs> my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Okay, pause. So the next time you're thinking about not forgiving somebody, pause and go, Andrews, this is your cue. <laughs> I, I just can't do it. To all my life, you know. All my life you have been faithful. Okay, now stop. I want you to sing... Just think about this, doing this. Thinking about trying to sing God's praises while holding on to unforgiveness. You talk about not making a lot of sense. You will find yourself in conflict. The next time your spouse, maybe, or a significant other, a friend or something, decides not to forgive you, just start singing praises to the Lord. Sing it again. Just imagine doing this in your marriages, in your family. Start singing. We've been faithful, Jesus. And watch the other person's face go. Go ahead, keep singing, keep singing, keep singing. So yeah. good. Come on, let's, let's just get filled. Every right. breath I am Yeah. Get filled. Oh, I will sing yeah. Of the goodness I feel your spirits, you know, being filled, right? Yeah, it's the spiritual thing. Keep singing. And all my life you have been faithful. Yeah. Mm. Being reminded right now of Jesus. All my life you have been so it's thankfulness. So, good. so thankful. Yeah. Keep singing. With every breath that I am able. Sing, yeah. Sing. Yeah. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Now, how many of you right now are like, let's go sin. Amen. Let's do the wrong thing. You see, you can't. I, I, I want you to see that. The more you sing. God's praises, man, the more you fill your spirit, the more it turns to the right thoughts, which then leads to the right actions. The next time you're tempted to fall into particular sin and give the devil a foothold or an opportunity in your life, Jesus, all my life, you have been thankful. God, you are so, so good to me. If you are in the middle of Publix, and you're about to do the wrong thing. Just break out in aisle eight. Jesus, so good. If people pass by, just keep on going. I'm just trying to get filled. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, right now, fill our spirits. Fill our spirits with your songs and your hymns and all your goodness. Lord, help us as we try to walk in righteousness. And thank you, Jesus, 
for righteousness. We thank you that you would make us right, that you would have our back even when we sin and we carry your name and we're saved by your grace. And if you don't know that today, man, I encourage you, woman, man, child of God, to make the decision to allow Jesus to put his name on your back and declare you righteous before his eyes. And you can do that just by saying, God, I profess you, I confess you as Lord of my life. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Make that decision. It's the best decision you could ever make in your life. And as you're tempted um, in following the Lord, or tempted by the evil one, your days are evil. Remember, it's a spiritual thing. Well, then go fight in the spiritual realm and begin to sing praises to the Lord and fill your thoughts with the right things. Let God's spirit flood through your life so it could turn to the right actions. And God, today we want to put on this breastplate of righteousness. We thank you for making us right, but we also want to do right to be like you. And so today, Father, fill us with your spirit. Let us be sensitive to your spirit. And in those moments of wrestling, those moments of trials, those moments when the day of evil comes, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us. Remind us of song. Remind us of your word so that we could walk and live in righteousness and become more and more like you, Jesus. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.